your friend. You don't go over there and shake hands, smile, hug their neck. Let's knock them on their backs, butt them in the mouth, knock their ass in the dirt. That's what we got to do. We got to stop that buddy ball, smash everybody in the mouth. Take the running backs to the stand, run up in the stands and slap their mama. Live in the entertainment capital of the world, it's the T.C. Martin Show. It is showtime, baby. Here we go. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Going to be fielded by Lorenzo Neal at the 25. Yeah, give Pitches it, to... it back to Wycheck. He throws it across the field to Dyson. He's got something. 30, He's 40, got something. 50, He's got it. 40, He's got it. 20, 10. He's got it. End zone. Touchdown, Titans. There are no flags on the field. It's a miracle. The doctor is now in. Thank you all for listening and tuning in. It is the T.C. Martin Show coming your way live on a Wednesday. The Dr. T.C. Martin is down in H-Town for the World Series, getting a chance to check out both Game 1 and Game 2. He'll be back coming up later on this week. I'm Chris Wynn, filling in for him here on the T.C. Martin Show, hanging out with Numchuck here live in studio in beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada. On your hump day, action all over the place. Last night, folks, we had Game 1. Of the World Series, obviously, the Vegas Golden Knights were on the road. First end of a back-to-back in Colorado against the Avalanche. They get the victory last night. Impressive way to bounce back from a four-game losing streak for VGK. And now they get a chance to face the Dallas Stars tonight down there in Big D before they come back home to play on Nevada Day on Monday. So getting an opportunity to kind of see or excuse me, Nevada Day on Friday, right? So we have an opportunity to see this team uh, play two more games here in the next few days. And so we'll see how they perform down there tomorrow. And then, of course, uh, week eight of the NFL kicks off tomorrow night. Action across the board as well as uh, the rest of the World Series. Obviously, a a lot of you baseball fans out there that got a chance to see game one of the Fall Classic yesterday, a bittersweet type of situation, right, for the Atlanta Braves as the Braves get the win. And, uh, look, they had a, a, a decent performance offensively, but uh, also got a great pitching performance by their staff. Unfortunately, though, Charlie Morton, the guy that was on the hill to start the game, ends up with a serious injury that takes him out for the rest of the series. And so the Braves get the win, and the reason I say bittersweet, obviously, is because Charlie Morton is no longer going to be able to be a part of the World Series. And uh, look, you look you look at the situation. He started Game 1, obviously. Real good chance that he could have started both Game 4 and Game 7 as well, too. So obviously the Braves will have to kind of retool their situation from a pitching standpoint moving forward throughout the series. But the Braves get one up on the Houston Astros and get the and, – and which is more important – get a win on the road, right? In the World Series, to be able to pick up games when you're on the road is massive. And so we'll, we'll get a chance to see whether or not they can actually go up two games to none in this series as well, too. So pretty big-time stuff there from the Atlanta Braves. A couple great guests today on the show. We're looking forward to it. Nick Monsanto is going to join us. He's the host of Against the Number Radio. Great sports talk show. I mean, Nick Monsanto is a guy, much like TC, much like myself, much like our friend Ken Thompson, he's, he's a guy who's a storyteller, right? But he's obviously a guy who's lined up when it comes to all things sports. The show is on Sports Byline USA, 
which is uh, a, basically a nationwide network and uh, you know affiliated also with Armed Forces Radio Network as well, too. He's going to join us uh, in just a few minutes. We're going to talk a little bit of uh, Raiders, talk some NFL, and bounce around some of the hot topics of the day. Also joining us is going to be Joe Arrigo in the second hour from 3 to 4. He's going to be joining us live in studio. Joe does great stuff with the uh, franchise Las Vegas uh, sports media. Everything from high school sports here in Las Vegas to UNLV football. He is wired in when it comes to the Raiders as well, too. So we're going to be talking a lot of pigskin today and uh, getting a chance to bounce off both Nick and Joe Rigo as we go through here on the T.C. Martin Show. So, obviously, as I pointed out, we're looking forward to Week 8 kicking off tomorrow. You've got the uh, UNLV Rebels taking on United, uh, Nevada Reno coming up on Friday. Up there in Reno, the uh, battle for the cannon is going to go down. And, of course, everybody knows out there, all the UNLV faithful understand, it's a team still looking for their first win of the season and the first win in the Marcus Arroyo era for UNLV. How sweet would it be if they could go up there in a rivalry game like this and pick off the Wolfpack in a, in a rivalry game on a Friday night up there? It would be absolutely outstanding for UNLV faithful and obviously for the UNLV football squad as well, too. So... Uh, getting a chance to talk to Joe Rigo a lot about that as well, too, later on in the show. So looking forward to uh, a lot going on. you got just so much going on. And, uh, uh, by the way, NBA action in full swing again last night. The Lakers took on the San Antonio Spurs. Both teams yesterday were sitting at 1-2 and two as far as uh, record-wise. Look, it's early on. The Lakers dealing with some uh, issues as far as personalities when you had the uh, little dust-up with with Anthony Davis as well as uh, Dwight Howard on the bench, but uh, able to uh, take care of business in overtime, 125 to 121 in that game yesterday, despite the fact that uh, LeBron James was out with a uh, with an ankle injury. Both uh, Davis and uh, Westbrook, big-time games, uh, dropping over 30 points, both of them, and both having double-digit boards as well, too, as the uh, Lakers end up rallying to win and beat the Spurs last night. So a uh, little bit of a slate in the NBA last night. You had the Warriors taking on the Thunder. You had the Maverick. You had a battle of Texas with the Mavericks taking out the Rockets. And uh, and a solid game also, even though the score doesn't necessarily show it, with the uh, matchup in uh, Salt Lake City as the Utah Jazz got the Nuggets in uh, a matchup of two teams that are definitely going to be factors when it comes to the Western Conference playoffs. And uh, Utah ended up getting the win there, 122-110. to in that matchup. The other matchup, of course, was the Knicks and the Sixers. Knicks, kind of a pleasant surprise this year so far. Um, you take a look at the squad, obviously, everybody knows who Kemba Walker is. You had you know a breakout season a year ago by the likes of Julius Randle. But uh, it was guys like Evan Fournier and, uh, and Derrick Rose off the bench that were big time for them last night as they end up knocking off the Sixers. This is a Philadelphia 76ers team, obviously led by Joel Embiid and uh, Tobias Harris and, and uh, Danny Green and the likes. And uh, Philadelphia drops to 2-2, two and two, the, the Knicks sitting at 3-1. and one. Winning basketball in New York for the Knicks, not something that we have seen as of late, i.e. the last decade or so when it comes to this squad. It's, the, the phrase is always dropped for basketball fans. Everybody always says this. 
when the Knicks and the Lakers are good, the NBA seems to matter more. I think it's kind of true. You know, it is, it is kind of true. When you're talking about the big markets and when you're talking about a team like the Knicks that has history, just not very recent history, then it's, it's usually a, a good sign for the NBA to have uh, those types of teams that are uh, very competitive and right there in the mix. So looking forward to the NBA season. Look, it's early on in the NBA. It's kind of hard to focus real hard I mean, because you've got, obviously, the World Series going on and you've got, you know, we're, we're, we're deeper, I should say, into the NFL season. And there's so many storylines surrounding the NFL. And we're going to talk to Nick Monsanto about that, by the way, because there was just a breaking story that came out uh, on ESPN regarding the, uh, the Washington football team investigation, right? And as of right now, the only real big shoe to drop, the only real consequence of that investigation has been John Gruden, right? It's been the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders is the one thing that this investigation has even dealt with, right? And has, has even been a consequence. It's, it's, it's bounced John Gruden out of the head coaching ranks in the NFL, and it has essentially you know, destroyed his legacy for all intents and purposes. This is by no mean a defense of John Gruden and what he said. It was appalling. It was deplorable, the things that he said and, and, the, and the positions that he's taken. But there's still the idea and the notion that this investigation had other targets as well, too, and it was other people that they were trying to uh, for lack of a better word, focus on, right? And so now we have a situation where it, it, there's individuals that are not only subjects of the investigation, but people that actually participate in the investigation that want more info to come out, okay? And that's that's just the bottom line. And so, and we had the breaking news today, and I'll, I'll bring that up and I'll we'll talk about it a little bit. We're joined right now. He is the outstanding host of Against the Number Radio. You can find it on Sports Byline USA Network, as well as the Armed Forces Radio Network. Tremendous show from 3 to 5 every single day. He can talk about any sports topic across the board, including sports betting as well, too, and how those angles are interpreted. Nick Bonsanto joining us here now on the T.C. Martin Show. Nick, we appreciate you spending some time on your Wednesday. What is going on, my friend? Oh man, I like I don't have anything else to do today, but I'm happy to be with you. I I mean that seriously, Chris. I appreciate having you, uh, being on the program with you. It's always good to chat with you. Absolutely, and you know what? Uh, you, you talked about it. There's always something going on, right, Nick? When it comes to the sports <laughs> landscape, there's always big stories popping. And uh, look, this is a story that's kind of lingered, right, since uh, you know basically two and a half, three weeks ago. Regarding you know the you know the resignation slash basically firing of John Gruden as the head coach mm-hmm. of the Las Vegas Raiders and now the story comes out from John Kai from ESPN today that the attorneys for some former Washington football team employees are rejecting NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell's reasoning right Nick for not making the investigation into the organization public saying in a letter that their clients wanted anonymity. But also a written report, Goodell has said in a news conference at the league meetings Tuesday, they did not release a written report into the nearly year-long investigation. Year-long, Nick, investigation (laughs) into the organization and owner Dan Snyder because some who were interviewed wanted anonymity and uh, therefore no public report. 
Now, Nick, we've talked <laughs> look, we've talked about this whole scenario, right, for the last almost month now. The right. only the only casualty in the report as of right now, of course, is John Gruden, right? It hasn't there's not there hasn't been any consequences for anybody else involved. Well, yeah. And so it is, it is so do do you think and uh and I want to get into it too. I want to get into Mark uh, Davis his his kind of response to this whole thing and get and kind of bounce this off you. But uh do you find it uh rather strange and rather uh uh surprising, I guess is is a way we can describe it that uh that John Gruden is the only person that's faced any consequences regarding this WFT investigation. You know, Chris, when I look at this, there's a lot of ways to look at this. Uh First off, as far as the NFL going public with it, I tend to, I tend to err, I tend to lean toward the NFL side is because there were a couple that wanted anonymity and they didn't want to put it out there to risk the potential that someone's name would come out that had requested their name not come out. I think that was done as a courtesy uh, in the investigation. So I don't know if I side with everyone that wants this whole thing public because they made a promise to these to, to this other person that they wouldn't do that. So they walk a tightrope there that's hard, and there are two sides. They can win with one side and they lose with the other and vice versa. So I, I don't know if there's a winner that can be made there. Uh, as for Washington, I mean, Snyder was penalized. Uh, you know, he's not really there in the day-to-day anymore. Uh, Gruden got hit, and the reason Gruden got hit had nothing to do necessarily with the NFL. It had to do with the New York Times managed to, again, find their way to get these uh, these emails and put them out there publicly. It was not something the NFL could sit back and allow to happen, especially with the way they are trying to have a more inclusive NFL. And and I think that, you know, okay, maybe somebody had it in for Gruden, but I'm not sure that it was the NFL office. I, I Who leaked that, okay? Who leaked those emails is what I want to know. That's the person who has it in for John Gruden, in my mind. Uh, at the same time, I, I don't know. Uh, if you put all this public, like I said, it's it's tough. It goes to each side. I, I'm really tossed on this. Look, I'm not upset. I will tell you this. I'm not upset John Gruden took a hit on this, not even in the least bit, not, not at all. I think that uh, whether whether they were obtained in, in the most um, honorable fashion or not, they proved a underlying – uh, thought process that he used over not once but over a a seven eight year period, and that tells me that's how he is every day of his life. If it happened over that period of time, and that's something you can't have in the NFL. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but you can't have it. I'm really tossed though as to whether the NFL releases all this or not. I, I really am. I this was not intended to catch Gruden. It did. Um, And they made a promise not to release this. So it's really, I I don't know. It's it's six of one. It's half a dozen of the other, Chris. I don't have an honest answer, but I lean toward I wouldn't release it because they said they wouldn't. 
And the Gruden, Gruden situation came out in a way uh, that the NFL wasn't the reason they came out, at least to, to, the, to where we know today. He's Nick Monsanto. He's the host of uh, Against the Number Radio on Sports Byline USA, joining us here on the T.C. Martin Show, talking about the uh, situation with the uh, Washington football team investigation and uh, obviously the connections to the Las Vegas Raiders. Now, of course, Nick, uh, Las Vegas Raiders owner Mark Davis, not shy Mm -hmm. about uh, his opinion regarding this entire situation, and he uh, Mm -hmm. essentially broke ranks, right, with NFL owners today at the league's fall meeting, saying that he would – uh, like to see a written report of the investigation in the, into the Washington football team, uh, quote-unquote, uh, as reported by Paul Gutierrez, who covers the team on a daily basis. Uh, probably, yeah, I think that there should be, yeah, especially with some of the things that were, I guess, charged. Yeah, I believe so. I think people deserve a written report, especially the people that were, quote, victims. Now, Davis talked for about uh, a little under 15 minutes uh, in a wide range of uh, kind of back-and-forth conversation with reporters as First public comments, by the way, since Gruden ended up resigning on October 11th, uh, following all those reports. The messages uh, between Gruden, who was employed uh, at the time by ESPN, uh, you know, and uh, then uh, he was, th- those were with uh, Bruce Allen, by the way, from the Washington football team. That, those were the, the, most of the, uh, the emails that were released. Now, mm-hmm. uh, this, how, how do you, what do you think about this whole standpoint that the Raiders are taking? Because they're taking, I think, a lot of the same viewpoint that you just just did that I do that look you can't defend John Gruden on this situation as far as what was said it was so deplorable it's egregious you know Uh you can't you just can't have it right he had to go but then but then there's a but right there is a but that I think Mark Davis and the Raiders and Raider Nation you know the deal right Nick our people are fired up saying well, this is kind of ridiculous because all of this went on and there's all this, you know, with, with, you know, hundreds of thousands of emails. How is it just that our organization, how is it just that Raider Nation Uh-oh. is the only team that has got, you know, that is that has caught, you know, that has caught hell for this, basically, you know, and and everybody else is just kind of skated clean. Except for, as you mentioned, of course, Daniel Snyder and uh, the Reds, the at the time the Redskins, they were fine. But uh, I think, do, is it a legitimate beef? You think that uh, that Raider Nation has and that Mark Davis has? You know, okay, is it a legitimate beef? It might be. But can I have? Can, can I say this, yes. uh, Raiders Nation? Are you listening? <laughs> Knock the chip off your shoulder. Relax, okay? Because to be honest with you, I think they did you a favor, all right? I'm just going to say that. I think the team without Gruden <laughs> is going to be better than the team with Gruden. So so don't hold it against anybody. And Davis got off the hook where he didn't have to fire him or pay him the rest of his $10 million deal, okay? I actually think that the Raiders are going to be better for this. I really do, and I don't mean that in a in a funny way. I'm chuckling, but the truth of the matter is, I, in its own perverse way, it's going to help the team. Now, that said, does it appear it's something against the Raiders? Sure, it appears that way, absolutely. But I don't know, again, I, I would like, the one thing I would love to figure out, like, I don't know if it was an against the Raiders deal or did somebody have an axe to grind with John Gruden? That's my question. Because if you look at those emails that Gruden, if you read the emails that he sent, 
Um, they're they're not nice. Let's I, I'm going to use those words. Just not nice. And if he could put that in emails uh, to Allen and such at the at the Washington football team at the time, the Redskins. Mm-hmm. What has he done to others along the way that's maybe ticked them off to the point that those emails are the ones that became public? I'm not saying, but I'm just saying something there. I don't think it's a Raiders axe to grind as much as I thought it was an axe to grind against Gruden. I think you're just flat out spot on when it comes to your analysis regarding uh, how this is all. And look, I'm not laughing, you know, uh, you know, at the situation. I'm just laughing, you know. I'm, uh, you know, tongue in cheek as far as uh, kind of uh, how this is all shaken out regarding the Raiders and the organization we're dealing with. It's always been kind of an adversarial type of relationship, right? When it comes to the yeah. Raiders and the NFL, and this just kind of adds to it and kind of just, uh, you know, even solidifies it even more when you when you kind of think about it, right, Nick? I mean, it's just... It's yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, the Raiders have always been at odds with the NFL, you know, when, when Al was in charge. Look, he, he was always, he was always, you know, uh, uh, tweaking them. I mean, you know, Al Davis was the, was the kid in school that went up to the NFL in the hallway and gave him a wedgie. You know what I yeah, mean? exactly. That's what yeah. he was. Yes. He was always that guy. So, so when they get a chance to go back, they do. But I, I honestly, in my heart of heart, okay, my, my logical brain says this was nothing to do with the Raiders, and it was all about the axe to grind with Gruden. And as I said, I think in the end, in the end, I think you're going to look at it and go, hey, this worked out for us Raiders. So Nick Bonsanto joining us here. He's a nationally syndicated sports radio host based here in Las Vegas with uh, Against the Number Radio, tremendous show over on, on Sports Byline USA Network. And uh, we're talking a little bit about the Raiders, a little bit about the NFL. And uh, Nick Bonsanto, uh, uh, a, you know, a southern New Jersey guy, right? A Philly, a Philly guy, yeah. okay? And yeah. uh, I had got to ask you about the, you know, obviously matchup as the Raiders were able to get a win here at Allegiant Stadium on Sunday against those Philadelphia Eagles. Are you surprised by the way that the Raiders have been able to kind of circle the wagons behind Rich Bisaccia and the rest of the coaching staff and get a couple of wins here in the last couple of weeks after the entire John Gruden thing went down, is it something that uh, is has kind of caught you by surprise? Well, I think none of us truly knew what was going to happen when Versace took over. Mm-hmm. Uh, n- none of us, uh, even the team, wasn't certain how they would react. However, to piggyback off of our last conversation about Gruden leaving, uh, I think when you look at this team now, the last two weeks, when you look at the Raiders over the last two weeks, they appear to be having a good time. They appear to be very loose that you always didn't see with Gruden. They have appeared, uh, or not appeared, they have uh, offensively opened it up and, and gone up top a lot more than they did under Gruden. And I think, I just have a feeling uh, that this is just going to work out. And uh, yes, we didn't know what was going to happen uh, am I a little surprised? Slightly. But do I think that a heavy-handed coach like Gruden sometimes uh, is difficult for players and they're afraid to make a mistake, thus they play tighter? I think that's the case at times. And I think Versace has has 
pulled that little bit of stress off of the backs of the players to say, okay, we're all in this together, and I'm not going to get my rear end chewed out in two minutes by Gruden if I say the wrong thing. And I think that shows in the way they're playing. One man's opinion. So the Raiders, of course, they have a bye week this week, and then they will be in New York, actually in New Jersey, to take on the Giants in a a road game, a little uh, West Coast to East Coast trek for that squad there. And uh, we'll see whether the Raiders can bounce back and, uh, and get win number three. Under Rich Passaccia there as the head coach with the Las Vegas Raiders. want to switch gears as we have uh, Nick only for a few more minutes, but I want to talk a little World Series, Nick. Uh, obviously a matchup between uh, the Houston Astros and the Atlanta Braves going down. First time the Braves have been in, in, in the Fall Classic since in this century, basically. And uh-huh. uh, a matchup against a team in the Houston Astros looking for a little validation, I think, right? I mean, you t- there's, there's yeah. a number of storylines surrounding the World Series and, and how things have kind of shaken out here. But uh, I, I think, you know, we had a start to the World Series that was a little bit of a surprise last night as, uh, as Atlanta was able to pick up the victory. But uh, you've got to be looking forward to uh, this Fall Classic this year. No, uh, you know, it was a great start to the World Series. I mean, who would have thought, you know, and, and there, there are so many storylines. And, and, you know, I, I'm at a point where I'm actually, I know it will be um, their, their cross the bear forever the Astros with what happened in 2017. But that is not the case with this Astros team. I don't think it has any place in this series whatsoever. It has no bearing on it. It is just something they are stuck with forever now. But the big thing to me, I mean, last night, I mean, think about this. Think about this. Charlie Morton starts the game breaks his leg, and throws 16 more pitches. He throws 10. He goes to the dugout, comes back out, throws six more, strikes out Altuve with a fractured leg before he's lifted from the game. That I think, I think that's a drop-the-mic moment on the bloody sock. Nick, myself and Numchuck before the show were talking about this. How are you out there on the dish throwing pitches when your leg is basically, you know, and and by the way, we talked to uh, Stevie Slapshot before the the show started, also, and he's like, it, it it had to be it had to be some kind of hairline, then maybe it got worse, that kind of thing. I mean, I guess like, I'm not a doctor, but I mean, really, you're out there with a broken leg, and you're still out there chucking the ball in a Major League Baseball World Series game. I mean, come on now. I mean, that's crazy. He right? threw it over 90 miles an hour yeah. when he came back out after the after the the. Uh, the, the inning and came back for the final six pitches. He threw fastballs over ninety. Do you know how much you have to to set with your legs to throw a ninety mile an hour pitch? It's 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 unbelievable <laughs> to even think that uh, it's even possible. But uh, but again, I, as I mentioned at the top of the show, bittersweet, right? For the Atlanta Braves, uh, yourself. Uh, I mean, we look at this team, and uh, it's obviously you get the win in game one, but you don't have the guy that's going to be out there on the hill for possibly two other games in this series, right? You could have had him for game four. Mm-hmm. You probably could have had him for game seven. So it's going to be kind of a circle the wagons moment, right, for the Braves from their from, yeah, a, pitch, ab- from a pitching standpoint, I'm saying, to you know, oh, no. throughout the rest of the you're series. Right. No, you're right, Chris. Totally right when you say that. And, you know, it was funny. I was talking with uh, Kevin McAlpin on my show from the Braves radio network. He mm-hmm. does their pre- and post-game. And I was talking to him. 
And, and he brought up something, and now I'm thinking, I guess this is just going to have to happen more than once in the series. He brought up the fact that probably one game in the World Series, depending on how long it went, would have to be a bullpen game. Right. And now I'm thinking they're going to have to pitch a couple of bullpen games. And for whatever reason, that's kind of become chic and in in Major League Baseball, and they seem to get away with that a lot more uh, than normal. And, and I don't know if it's quite as big of a, a, a handicap as you may think. He's Nick Monsanto. Follow him at Nick B Radio on Twitter. Tremendous nationally syndicated sports radio host with Against the Number Radio every weekday, 3 to 5 p.m. You can catch him on the Sports Byline USA Network. Nick, we really appreciate you spending some time on your Wednesday. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll talk to you again soon, okay? Thanks, Chris. Love being here with you. We'll talk again soon. I appreciate it, Nick. Thanks. There you go, Take Nick care. Monsanto from Against the Number Radio. Look, I, I, I'm telling you. Regardless of, you know, John Gruden, you can't defend the words, okay? But you can look at it from a perspective of the Raiders are a team that just gets just gets under the skin of the NFL. Even now, even now when we're in, a, when we're in an era, and uh, looking forward to talking to, to Joe Rigo about this, by the way, coming up uh, after the break. It, it's just, it's, it's amazing kind of the uh, entire relationship thing, right? Regarding the Raiders... In the NFL, and uh, it just continues to raise its head, even in an, in an era now where it, it's been accepted. The teams, not not only the NFL in Vegas has been accepted, but uh, it, Raider Nation as far as uh, the organization. And uh, there is a little bit of kumbaya regarding the NFL. It is uh, the T.C. Martin Show coming away live on a Wednesday. I'm Chris Wynn in for T.C. Martin. He's live in Houston, Texas, getting set for Game 2 to see if the Astros can bounce back from the loss in Game 1. Much more on the way next. Joel Riga is going to join us live here in studio as we continue on your hump day. Now, back to more of Las Vegas' favorite sports madman, the Dr. T.C. Martin. California. It's a Wednesday edition of the T.C. Martin Show coming your way live. I'm Chris Lynn in for T.C. Martin. Also, follow the show www.thetcmartinshow.com. Information across the board. You can catch all the archive shows there as well, too. All kinds of tremendous input from the doctor, T.C. Martin, and all his guests that he has on the show. He'll be back on Friday. He is, of course, in Houston for the World Series. His guy, Dusty Baker, up against it right now. Down one game to none in the World Series as the... Uh, Astros and Braves will go at it again tonight in Game 2 of that series. So we'll see if uh, they can even it up heading to the Dirty South, the ATL, for Game 3 of that series. But uh, joined here live in studio, looking forward to this. It's going to be a lot of fun getting a chance to talk to Joe Origo from the franchise Las Vegas. These guys are wired in across the board when it comes to high school sports here in, in Southern Nevada, as well as UNLV. They can talk. They'll talk Raiders. They, they you know, look, they, they go across the board. They have guys over there at the franchise that uh, cover, obviously, VGK. They, I mean, across the board when it comes to sports here in the Valley, 
These guys are lined up. Joe Rigo, join us here live in studio. Joe, we appreciate the time. How are you, my friend? Man, I'm great. Thanks for having me. I love I love playing California Love too. I mean, that's where I'm from. So Cali, and it is that. Reminds, takes me back to high school. Your original SoCal boy, right? So well, originally Milwaukee, but moved to SoCal okay. at four. All right, and then, yeah. yeah, but California so you were young then when you when you rolled down there. Yeah. So you're I, orig- born Midwest like me, yeah. but uh, but uh, yeah, but raised it raised down there. Uh, in the in the Southern California area, oh, yeah. so he's the co-founder of the franchise LV podcast, director for uh, SB Nation's uh, Silver and Black Pride podcast network. Uh, obviously, he tweets about the Packers as well too. A little bit, uh, a little bit about the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> and by the way, we're going to talk a little Packers because uh, you know there's been some news going down as far as the squad's concerned. But uh, you could follow Joe at Joe Arrigo FSM on Twitter. Now there are a couple of big matchups when it comes to college football, Joe. This weekend, a couple of big matchups uh, in the, or both in the SEC in the Big Ten from a top twenty standpoint. You got the Ohio State Penn State game. I think Ole Miss is playing Auburn too, two ranked teams out of the SEC. But focus for a lot of people here in Nevada, obviously, is the battle for the cannon. Yep. As uh, you got uh, Nevada Reno taking on UNLV up there for that matchup, and then for us Michiganders, we're kind of pumped up too because it's the first time since the late 60s, that both Michigan and Michigan State are ranked in the top 10, and they're facing off against each other in East Lansing this weekend. But uh, a lot of people uh, think that this could be a spot where UNLV can pick up that first W in the Marcus Arroyo era. And how sweet would it be, Joe, if they're able to roll up there and take out the Wolfpack in a, in a game that we obviously know about the rivalry. We know, I mean, it would just be utter ecstasy, wouldn't it, for, you know, Rebel fans and for, obviously, UNLV as a team to be able to go up there and pick up a W. Absolutely. I mean, you figure the last win that they had was when, when Coach Sanchez went up there and, and beat them, and then, mm-hmm. unfortunately, the incident happened and whatnot. And and for Coach Arroyo, I mean, he's more concerned about stacking wins than just getting one win. And what I what I found interesting was Monday I asked him in his press conference, I, you know, mm-hmm. I said, Coach, like, Last year, you kind of downplayed the rivalry and downplayed what it means. And because he, he kind of said, you know, I want to put it towards, and I'd rather it be at the end of the year cause this way. It's, but now it's on Nevada Day, and he's like, yeah, this this is a big deal. Like, and it's not just about winning the Canyon; it's about beating our in-state rival. It's about getting the victory. I mean, look, it's been a tough year for the Rebels. Yeah, you know, Owen Owen seven, but the average loss other than Iowa State game is by five point six points. They've covered in in ever they're five and one or or four and zero oh against in the spread. They're, they're, you want to take what you got with them. They're a team that's as soon as they get that first win, I think the program just just really shoots off. Mm-hmm. He's done a great job recruiting. Landed a huge recruit last week in uh, Bobo Masters from from uh, um, Caddy or from Houston, Texas, yeah. Yates High School. He's a top seven hundred player. Turned down Oregon, LSU. I mean, big boys to come to UNLV. What's going to happen when they start winning and then all these recruits come in? So it's just a matter of getting getting the first one. Let's talk about Marcus Arroyo because I'm intrigued by him. You had an opportunity. You've, you've, by the way, your contributions as far as the franchise are great because you have sit down one on ones with people that are imperative across the board, especially, obviously, with UNLV football. You had a chance to sit down with Tate Martell, obviously, a, a local guy who is now a rebel and uh, had a chance to talk to him back in the summer. But you also had a sit-down interview with Marcus Royal. You guys went in-depth, okay? This wasn't just about 
his time here at UNLV. This was basically a breakdown, and we got an opportunity to see his life progression, right, as someone who has been able to uh, develop into uh, an assistant coach, obviously, at the college level, and now he is, you know, a first-time head coach here with UNLV. It was it was intriguing because, you know, he went all the way, and he was candid. I mean, Very. he was super candid in this interview that he talked with you. But what was I mean, what were some of the kind of the things that surprised you when you got a chance to talk to him regarding his approach to leadership and coaching at the in the college ranks? Well, I, I think a lot of people get the impression that Coach Arroyo is – kind of arrogant and aloof and unapproachable, which I don't – I've never got that from him personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From day one, from the press conference until um, going through the Zoom meetings last year and, and trying to get interviews with him because, I mean, last year was real tough. I wanted to do a one-on-one with him. Mm-hmm. He's always been accommodating to me personally, yeah. and I, I greatly appreciate that. Um, but you see that he's – he comes from – a, a background where it's more blue collar. He's more Las Vegas than what people realize. People see the glitz and the glamour and the flash and the strip. Okay, you see that with him, the way he looks, his haircut, his yeah. style. But then you see that he's a blue collar guy. Comes from a town of under two thousand people. One stoplight, mm-hmm. which the only stoplight is, so there's a, a walk, a crosswalk, so the kids can go to school. He comes from a broken family. His mom was the the, the city butcher. I mean, this is a guy that that literally got into coaching. Because he wanted to get his degree in sports management and get into either, either being a GM or uh, getting into to representing players. So you get to understand the psychology of, of it. And he just kind of just took the coaching, got the free education, and kept going and going. And all he's done is win. This is the first time that he really hasn't won out of school. Mm-hmm. But it's not, it hasn't had him back down. People told him not to take this job. And he was like, no, this is the reason why I want it, because I want to turn this around. I want to be here for the long term. Um, this isn't just a stopping, stopping ground for me or, or a, a, it's a pit stop. He wants to be here long term and build this thing into something that, that can become a football power. And he knows it's going to take time. He knew it wasn't a one- or a two-year deal. He knew that it was a three- or a four-year deal. But no one plan- planned what happened in 2020. So, I mean, that kind of put a monkey wrench into everything. Yeah, he takes an approach that is, uh, I, I don't want to say it's adversarial because it's not really. It's more of an approach that, uh, you know, well, you, you don't think I can do it? Well, let, let me tell you something. I'm going to show you, and, and, we're, and, we're, and I'm going to actually go out there and prove to you that I can do it. Mm-hmm. That's like almost the mentality that he takes into this, and, uh, and it's an admiral, you know, uh, a capability to have, right? I mean, there's no question. 100%. That, uh, especially given the scenario here, because look, there there isn't a whole lot of success history when it comes to UNLV football. Let's be straight up about it. I mean, the history not, is, is yeah. non-successful history. There's no, exactly. the tradition is losing. Mm-hmm. Like, people don't realize this program was one of the bottom three programs across the board before Tony Sanchez took it. Right. Tony elevated it as far as got the city to buy in and invest in it with the Fertitta complex mm-hmm. and coach Arroyo. Now Marcus has turned around and, and added that next layer to it, which is developing the culture of, a, of a winning program. And he's done so. And, and quite honestly, he said it in the interview and I was, this is the, the, the main thing I took away from the interview that I was really surprised. He talked about publicly was he lost two children since he's been a coach. Right. Like as a father who also lost a child at one in, in 2020, yeah. mm-hmm. right. Like, for you to be able to talk about that and be candid about that and talk about your self-reflection and how it affected you and how you had to change your approach to things, 
that shows what kind of person he is. And to be very frank, on Monday in his press conference, um, he was asked about his team and the, how they're you know continuously getting up and being punched in the face. Mm-hmm. He got emotional and just almost broke down because he's so proud of the of the team continuously fighting. This isn't like UNLV teams in the past. Chris, you and I have been on the sideline yeah. in past years, mm-hmm. especially at, over at, at yeah. Sam Boyd. Mm-hmm. And you've seen the attitude of the kids. Oh, we're down, we're loose. Oh, we suck, whatever. Yeah. This team doesn't have that. This team is, they're literally on the sideline. They're talking with each other. Coaches are talking. They're talking about what they need to do to turn it around. Coach has done a great job of creating a culture. Now it just comes down to getting that win. And to be honest, like, the interview itself, it it went way better than what I even had hoped for or even a, a dreamed of and imagined. And, and I'm very grateful because it's, it's the side of him that nobody else sees. Yeah. And, uh, look, you sit, you sat down with prominent people over there at UNLV. <coughs> Excuse me. You also sat down with uh, the inter-athletic driver, Eric Harper, right? Yep. Discussing this situation. Now, this is something, obviously, that uh, UNLV alum, uh, people here in town, are very intrigued by and are interested in regarding – Who's going to be that next person, right? Right. Obviously, you know, Des, uh, uh, Desiree Reed Francois moves on. She goes to Missouri, and uh, and it's it's kind of been a situation where a lot of us, I got to be quite honest with you, even in the sports media here in Vegas, have no idea whatsoever what the next move is going to be, who the next person is going to be. What is your perspective on that, and and in what direction do you think that uh, UNLV as a whole is going to go when it comes to the athletic director position there? You know, I think it can go in two two different directions. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think one you can bring in a a person who has been there, done that before, who has some West Coast ties and can navigate getting UNLV to a Power Five conference where they need to be. Period. Point blank. Right. They've checked off all the boxes except for winning on the football field and basketball has to get get their winning tradition back. But they checked off all the boxes academically, facility wise across the board or they can go with somebody that's been in the department that knows the city that's tied in with the city that can get the power brokers in the city to buy in and help them then help him get them to that power five conference that person if i'm referring to could be eric harper who we sat down with harp has been around the program since tina Kunzer murphy Mm -hmm. he came from arizona um, also Kansas State, where he also was a football player. He's worked in every department from compliance to academics to marketing. So he knows how to deal with the people in those departments. He's a great listener. And he actually has ideas that he wants to implement that would really help the program and become a global a global brand. Because they're not just a local brand. They're not a normal G5 school. Mm-hmm. I mean, growing up in in, in L.A. area... Saturday nights on a, a Channel 9 down there was Mountain West basketball, or not Mountain West, it was West Coast Conference basketball, right. and it was Tark. Yeah. So we grew up UNLV fans. Mm-hmm. You look at rappers and entertainers. And oh, other, absolutely. Like Sinatra, yeah. I mean, was helping Tark for how long? You got the logo floating around out there for all of that. Exactly. You know, so so you, that's, it's a global brand, so you mm-hmm. got to have someone that understands that and understands UNLV is important. Mm-hmm. It is a school that has, there is a tradition here. And they also have to build build a different tradition now. And you mentioned, of course, uh, Eric Hart. By the way, uh, by the way, one of what fifty eight, I believe, uh, African American yes. athletic directors around the country. So that uh, that's a small group, folks, out there. But you mentioned some of the things that he would do. What are some of those uh, those uh, aspects that he would implement 
regarding you know uh, improving relations with the program. Okay, let, let's let's be honest about this. <laughs> UNLV has done a horrible job, yeah. horrible job in terms of welcoming back the legends of their program, mm-hmm. welcoming back Larry Johnson and Greg Anthony and Anderson Hunt, mm-hmm. Stacy Ogman. Even it took this long to get Freddie Banks' number in Jersey retired. Yeah. Like, Freddie should have been one of the first people, in all honesty. Um, so he has a, a plan. In, he, wants to, he wants to welcome back. He wants to f- welcome those people back without asking them for anything. Right. Because every time they get asked back, it's like, hey, Chris, yeah, give me a couple bucks. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and for, for Harp, he doesn't want that. It's come uh-huh. back. Come back and let us let us promote you. Let us put you on the big screen at T and M, sitting in Gucci Row, and give you your flowers. Let you let you let you get the praise that you've earned and deserve. But down the road, yeah, we're going to ask you for something, and that's just that's just the way it works. But the first few times, he says no. He said it in the interview, like we're not going to ask you for anything. He wants to get the get the players and even the legends of UNLV in the community more to help the school because again, the image of the school is. It's just UNLV. Right. It's not like when, okay, well, Dr. Dre and, and Jimmy Iovine donated a billion dollars to USC for their music department. Mm-hmm. Well, why can't we get some of the property to donate some money to the athletic department to make sure these kids for their NIL deals have everything they need and they don't have to go anywhere. They can, they're, they're right there. I think that falls on the properties and the people, the power brokers in town. They need to understand that. And I, I know something I talked about with Harper, the football program can be phenomenal. That could be your cash cow. And every major program, you know, as well, well as it I should do. be the cash cow. Exactly. In, in, in any university, given, you know, the, the ability from a revenue standpoint to generate in the sport of football. And let's say football, football is winning, and, and because of that, they get to, let's say, hypothetically, the Pac-12. Right. Right? They make it a Pac-12. Which would be the ideal situation. It'd be, I think it'd be the only situation, right. to be honest. Mm-hmm. And they go to the Pac-12, and the TV deal comes into play, and let's say they're getting $25, 30000000 million a year. Mm-hmm. They're going to tell me that's not going to build more, more buildings down there on, on Maryland Parkway for education. That's not going to help them get an indoor or an enclosed practice facility for football. Or that's not going to help the softball team or the golf team or the tennis team or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's the benefit of it. And I think Harper has a very good understanding of it. And some of the people that are rumored, that are you know, behind the scenes being rumored, that are, have interest, have those same ideas. But I think it all comes down to one thing. Is the city going to buy in and put money where their mouth is like they did with Tark in the, in the 70s and 80s mm-hmm. and in early 90s? Are they going to do that for this, this, this athletic group, for this football team, this basketball team, this athletic department? That remains to be seen. Joe Rigo's joining us here live in studio. We're uh, talking a little bit of UNLV sports and UNLV football as we get set for the uh, big-time rivalry game up in Reno coming up on Friday night. You can follow him at Joe Rigo FSM. On Twitter, he's the co-founder of the Franchise LV podcast, and uh, he can talk about everything across the board. We're going to talk some Raiders later on, a little bit more NFL, yeah. uh, but uh, we're kind of talking a little bit about uh, the state of UNF- UNLV athletics. You talked about the perception. Let's put all our cards on the table, to use a Vegas phrase, when it comes to the UNLV sport uh, athletic department, the way it's viewed, Okay. The way, in my opinion, is viewed, and look, I don't have a dog in the fight. I've covered the team for over a decade here in sports radio uh, across the board, whether it's the baseball team, women's basketball, uh, you know, men's basketball, football, etc. 
I, I, when I think of UNLV, it's still a, oh, we're hearkening back to the old days, you know, of the 90s. Yep. We think of UNLV, immediately comes to mind, obviously, is the national championships. It's the great teams back in the 70s, the 80s, and early 90s, right? You talked about uh, the cultural impact that has had regarding UNLV sports uh, across the board. You mentioned Anderson Hunt. Anderson Hunt, I'm personal friends with, uh, a guy who's from Michigan, like myself. We've talked about this. I mean, it, it was a, a, a lot of minority, the minorities in, in America, okay, were UNLV fans across the country. It wasn't just here on the West Coast. It wasn't just in Nevada. We're talking about across the country. I went to college in Massachusetts, okay, and there was a lot of people, okay, and not just not just African Americans, not just uh, Hispanic Americans. It was it was you know people across the board who were UNLV fans because of those basketball teams. Let's be straight up about it. It wasn't because of Randall Cunningham. It wasn't because of Icky Woods. Okay, it wasn't. You, you know what I'm yeah, saying? 100%. It was because of the basketball program that was so. You know, it was absolutely uh, on the forefront of sports fans' minds. Right. And so, I think it makes it difficult, right? Because you're trying to make a transition from a, uh, a program that was in the 90s was massively relevant to now where you're just trying to get back into the mix from a relevancy standpoint that UNLV is trying to do. 100%. That was yeah. that, that team that, that Tark had with, with LJ, and that was the mm-hmm. best team I've ever seen in college basketball. That's right. the best college basketball team in history. I mean, you've got opinion. Ogden, you've got, yeah, obviously, Anderson, you mentioned. So I across, mean, the board, across the board. Across the board, okay. With, our, I think, one of the two or three greatest coaches ever. Mm-hmm. I think it's him, Dean Smith, and John Wooden. Mm-hmm. And then you have and then Sushevsky as well. Now, the biggest problem I have when it comes to to UNLV is there's no middle ground. There's no bridge. You have the older people who are our parents or our grandparents that that were around mm-hmm. that know and understand and love the, that that team in the history with Hart. And then there's a whole there's like a gap. And the yeah. young kids have no idea about it, and they don't give two rat poot nannies about it. Yeah, they don't. You know, they're they're like yeah. they just suck at football, and they just they they suck at basketball. Like that's that's what you get from. And it's there has to be a bridge, and there's a few people in town that could be the bridge, but you but that also comes from educating. You have to educate them on the history of it, and that's where you that's why you sit down and you talk with someone like Coach Arroyo, or you talk with former coaches, former players, because. And then you understand why they're so they're so frustrated with the state of athletics. And let's be real. It starts at the top. I think Dr. Whitfield is the first president in a very long time that gives a damn about athletics mm-hmm. and gives and understands that football has to win. Yeah. And and he understands that it's, it, you can't be in Ivory Tower school without having good a good football program. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of similarities, Chris. And I know I talked this to you way back in the day of the University of Miami. Before Howard Snellenberger got there, mm-hmm. the same type of environment. Yeah, so no question about it. And uh, it's going to be intriguing, to say the least, to see how this transition goes as far as UNLV, because I think they can get there, Joe. I'm sure you do. And Numchuck, I'm sure he does, too, thinks that UNLV, they can make the transition to being a big-time school again when it comes to the athletic front. Joe Riga joining us here live in studio. Hour one's in the books, folks. The T.C. Martin Show. I'm Chris Wynn in for T.C. today. On the other side, going to break down the game. It's coming up Friday. Uh, big time, obviously, in-state matchup. Nevada taking on UNLV up there in Reno. Going to talk to Joe about uh, some of the personnel decisions being made and uh, what's going to happen on the field coming up this weekend. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Coming your way live on a Wednesday. We'll be back right after this.
The sun is shining in Las Vegas, Nevada. Hello again, everybody. This is Harry Carey. That's the most asinine marketing I've ever heard of. Live. Brian sends one to deep left. Way back. It is gone. A three-run homer. In the entertainment capital of the world. Didn't matter what the count was. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. Oh, my goodness. That's the longest home run to center field we have seen in this ballpark. T.C. Martin. Way back in my feet, it could be. Cobweb, cobweb, cobweb. Holy cow. Look at the left fielder. He had the ball here. He had that one. And he had to come down on the field. is now in. Off and rolling on a Wednesday. It's the T.C. Martin Show coming your way live. You can follow also at www.thetcmartinshow.com. All kinds of quality sports information across the board, show archives, and more. www.thetcmartinshow.com. I'm Chris Wynn in for the Dr. T.C. Martin. He's live in Houston. They're getting set. Game two of the World Series goes down tonight. First pick, pitcher on just past 5 o'clock local time. Jose Arquiti on the hill for the Astros. Max Fried hits the mound for Atlanta as the Astros will look to even that series up. Or the Braves could go up 2-0, and then the Astros would really be up against it in the fall class. So we're joined here live in studio by Joe Arrigo, co-founder of the, the uh, franchise LV uh, does a tremendous job covering all things Vegas when it comes to sports. He can also chop it up, too, when it comes to the NFL oh, yeah. and uh, across the board. And, uh, hey, even VGK, because uh, you're a Vegas guy. So you're a Vegas guy now. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm past the five-year threshold. Exactly. So you're, you're, you're pretty much <laughs> yeah, you're, you're down to talk about it. No question about it. Big-time matchup, obviously, here in Nevada for the Cannon up in Reno as Nevada hosts UNLV. UNLV sitting at 0-7, looking for the first victory under Marcus Arroyo. We've been talking about UNLV athletics, the state of the program. And uh, moving forward now, we've got the game coming up on Friday. And uh, Joe, obviously checking your Twitter feed, you're wired in when it comes to uh, personnel decisions and, and the possibility of what could take place here on Friday. But uh, obviously, you talked about it, what's been happening all year long. It's not like this Rebel team is getting smoked every week. That's just not the case, okay? They're right there on the doorstep in most of these games. They have an opportunity to win. And believe me, as someone who's a Detroit Lions fan, okay, and can absolutely relate (laughs) to having an opportunity to win a football game. That's terrible. And then circumstances present themselves where you don't, okay? You know what I'm saying, Joe. This is the kind of situation, again, where UNLV can absolutely go up there and win this football game, but uh, they're up against it. I mean, they're going on the road against a a, a decent Nevada team, and yeah. uh, it's they're going to have to. Uh, uh, I don't want to say pull a rabbit out of a hat, but they're going to have to do some things 
uh, to to end up pulling out a W against this team. You know, Carson Strong, the the UNR quarterback. I won't say Nevada because the 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 friends I have at UNLV kind of get upset when I say Nevada or Reno, so they say this. They'll snap at you. Yeah, so it's just UNR. (laughs) I know, I know they don't like it, but whatever. But the UNR quarterback, Carson Strong, could be the first quarterback taken in this draft. Mm-hmm. He's a legit guy. He's got a hose for an arm. He can toss at least 60. Throw put balls on a dime. And he, and he does a good job. He can get to the line of scrimmage, and he can change the plays. Mm-hmm. He knows that he's been in that system long enough where he can, he can change the play, which makes it extremely difficult for the defense. Um, but you know what? UNLV's defense hasn't been bad all year. They got manhandled against Iowa State, but they're bigger. They're stronger, and in some cases, faster. And they they put themselves in positions to make some big plays. They did, yeah. And and you look at the unit. So the defense is good. The defense is fine. They've done a, they've done a really good job stopping the run. They've done that. Um, really, I mean, they held Ronnie uh, Ronnie Rivers to under mm-hmm. 50, under under sixty yards rushing. They do a real good job stopping the run. The secondary they're a little banged up, but they played well too. They get they they give up plays, but. That's lack of pass rush, which has gotten better. So the defense is okay. Romeo Dubs is a, is one of the best receivers in in really all college football, and he's a matchup problem. But Noel Williams could be the best cornerback in the Mountain West, and he he's a rebel. So the this is gonna this is gonna be an intriguing matchup. But they just have to finish, mm-hmm. and and it's really the last seven minutes of a game. Every loss that they've had, that's been clo- has been in the last seven minutes. They have to close out games. You mentioned the quarterback strong, of course, for the Wolfpack. Uh, big time season so far. O- almost twenty five hundred yards passing, twenty touchdowns, four picks for him. But one of the more interesting, I guess I'll put it, uh, uh, aspects that we talked about with UNLV football this year has been the quarterback position, right? Mm-hmm. For the Rebels, what's your perspective of how this is going to be handled, spe- uh, specifically in this game moving forward? Um, I, I, that's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think's going to happen, Joe? Who's nah. going to be the signal call out nah, there the know, most look, of the game? Look. Because look, there has been they, it's, there's been a lot of switcheroos. Okay, you had multiple guys going in playing the position in games. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not just in series, in games. You know, and uh, it's 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 been you know kind of a confusing thing for Rebel fans out there and for football fans to kind of follow regarding. Marcus Arroyo and the powers that be there, right, the coaches, right. as far as what their decision-making is regarding the, the signal caller position for the so, Rebels. So Doug Brumfield has a back injury. Mm-hmm. I can say that publicly because it's been said publicly. Right. I won't say what it is. Mm-hmm. But, it, but Doug was back. He came back Monday to throw a little bit. On Tuesday he was out there in full pads and he was slinging it. So yeah. I think Doug is day-to-day. I think there's an outside chance that Doug could play. I would – if I was a betting man, because I don't bet on sports, believe it or not, um, Cam Friel probably is going to be the starter. Okay. Um, and I get asked this a lot. I know you know we'll probably get into it. Um, I think Tate Martell will will be used in various roles, um, in maybe some wildcat quarterback like a Taysom Hill. Uh, I know he's worked out at receiver this week, and I can say this: Tate and Coach Arroyo get along great. Tate just wants to get on the field, compete, and try to win ball games, help this team win. That's all his goal has been since UNLV was the landing spot. It was just to get on the field, compete. He doesn't care what position. And 
now that I think Doug and Cam have started to kind of, I don't want to say separate, but mm-hmm. Tate came in late. Um, I think Tate wants to get on the field, and, and those are the two guys right now that I think Coach Royals kind of hits his wagon to. Let's talk about Tate Martell because obviously a local kid, right? Tremendous success here with Bishop Gorman, a program that, uh, you know, let's be frank about it, is one of the more uh, high-profile, elevated programs in the country at a high school level. And then, of course, he goes to Ohio State, right? And obviously we, we understand, uh, you know, when you're recruited to a blue-blood big-time school like that, you have expectations not only of himself, I'm sure, Tate, as far as being the quarterback of the Buckeyes, but also the Buckeyes of him. It didn't work out there, so he ends up going to Miami. We, uh, we saw how that situation panned out. It didn't work out as well, too. Now he's back here. You had a chance to talk to him back in the summer. Okay, right. Twice. Twice. Now, I, I, I would expect, and this isn't breaking news or anything, I would expect that his viewpoints and his perception are probably very much different now as opposed to back then, right? Because back then, the expectation was, hey, this guy is going to be our quarterback. I mean, I mean, call me crazy, but when, I, when there's a guy that is at that level as far as what he's recruited at and what he's expected to be at the quarterback position, and you're going to the likes of Ohio State and Miami, you know, and yeah, so it didn't work out, whatever. But you're coming back to a program like UNLV. What's the natural reaction of everybody? Everybody's like, the job should be his to lose. You know what I mean? So go from that to what his position right now is with the football team, Joe. And where do you think it, uh, he stands from a, from a mental standpoint so, and his approach? So Tate, back in January, February, mm-hmm. um, started working out with Drew Amawave. Drew is a renowned quarterback coach. I mean, the elite 11 quarterback coach, the top quarterbacks in the country. He works with them. Um, Drew lives in Utah now, and he comes down every couple weeks, and he was working mm-hmm. with Tate. Changed Tate's throwing motion. I mean, Tate used to be a little sidearm. He's over the top, standing tall. Increased his velocity, his arm strength. It was Tate was in freakishly great shape. I mean, mm-hmm. just, I mean, ripped. And then, um, unfortunately, um, you know, I mean, there were some schools that were interested in him, but he always, his focus was, UNLV. He wanted to come home. He wanted to play home in front of his friends and his family and his support group. And when Coach Royal and him had a chance to sit down and talk, and Tate went to his his Coach Royal's football camp mm-hmm. a week before it. Tate tore a thumb ligament in his right right hand, so his throwing thumb, and he had to have surgery on it. He still went to the camp and threw, had surgery the next day, um, and. Tate just wanted to compete. That's it. Yeah. He, he wanted to come home and compete. If it was a quarterback, he knew the expectation for the public and people outside of the circle was for him to come in and be the starting quarterback right away. But he knew that wasn't realistic. He said, if, if I need to change positions, and he, he explained this to Coach Arroyo, and Coach Arroyo was one of the reasons he was on board was, you know, I'm bringing in an ultra-competitive guy, a guy that has been there in the big – That's a, that could be – his persona, his presence, and the way he views things could help change the program's culture within itself because he's been there at Ohio State. When he went to Miami, he, you know, he said in the interview that we did, it wasn't it – was, it was like, I got to go to Miami because my friends are there. It was three days later. It wasn't like he was – sat down and had a thought process, and then they changed coordinators, and he's under the center. Now 50% of what he does is taken out of a playbook. 
So it was a bad fit from the beginning. So when he came here, it's like, I'll do whatever you need me to do, coach. Outside public, yeah, he's going to be the starter. Realistically, Tate was going to get on the field to compete. He, got, he hasn't been on the field other than that redshirt freshman year for, you know, sparingly. It's really consistently since the senior year in high school. Mm-hmm. So I think it's unf- it was unfair and unrealistic expectations to expect Tate to come in and be a starter day one, week one, or week four, or week five. I think that was unrealistic. We're talking with Joe Arrigo here live in studio. UNLV getting set to uh, travel up to Reno, uh, battle for the cannon, in-state rivalry, obviously, between these two teams. And uh, we talked about, obviously, the Nevada offense, right, and, uh, and how potent they can be and uh, the weapons that they have. It's, uh, and you talked about UNLV's defense. It has their at points. They have made some big-time plays. I mean, that's secondary from Williams to Hill. Obviously, uh, Oliver has made some big plays as well, yeah. too. That's going to be a huge key, right, in this game is going to be what that UNLV secondary is able to do up against the likes of uh, the aerial offense that uh, UNR can put out there. 100%. You got, I mean, yeah. Noel Williams, Aaron Lewis, Davon Walden will be, will be back this week mm-hmm. off, of, off of injury, um, Cam Oliver. Those are guys. I, I think Michael Victor is good. I think this is a guy this week I would keep an eye on, um, a 6'3", 205-pound slot corner. That could even play some safety for you. Uh, Phil Hill has really solidified the strong safety spot. Baldwin and uh, James Baldwin, who who's a freshman, does a real good job at free. Same with Bryce Jackson, who's a senior now. The secondary is 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 okay. They just it's they got to get pressure on the quarterback. You got to pressure Carson Strong to make some throws, and if they're able to do that, the the. The say the the secondary is opportunistic. I mean, Cam Oliver has two picks. Almost took the one to the house against um, or last Thursday. Okay, yeah. in, in 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 that in the San Jose State game. Um, so when you look at or no, excuse me, Utah State. Pardon me. It was because he got caught from oh, behind. Two weeks ago. Yeah. So you, the secondary is opportunistic, and you got a guy like Aaron Lewis. Quite frankly, Aaron's five nine five. You know, at, if that, and if he goes up against Dubs. Dubs is going to have his hands full because Aaron's going to fight him the whole way through. Mm. Now, there's a huge height difference, 6'3", yeah. 6'4", six, 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 whatever. To fight. But Aaron was going to give him some trouble, and that's what I look for. you got, you got to just get them off their routes, and you got to get them off schedule. If you can do that, it helps your defense out. And then, in turn, it helps the offense out. Yeah, uh, He's a co-founder of the franchise LV. You can follow him at Joe Rigo, FSM. On Twitter, Joe Rigo joining us here live in studio. Going to switch gears with him a little bit. Going to go, going to go NFL. There's another team that plays at Allegiant Stadium, of course, and that's the Las Vegas Raiders. Joe, really? They yeah. do. Oh, and another wow. team that plays there. But it, it, playing this conference in this this division called the AFC West, and you know, in in, in the American Football Conference. Yeah, I don't, I don't know anything about uh, the Raiders or the Raiders story in Vegas. Joe, there's a little crazy. bit of the news, a little bit of news a few weeks ago regarding their head coach, obviously John Gruden. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, slat resigned slash basically bounced out as the head coach of the Raiders. And I think a lot of us are surprised by how things have shaken out regarding the Raiders here the past couple of weeks because it could have gone two different ways, right? It could have gone way south where everything just falls apart. They're in, you know, they're, they, they have a couple matchups against upstart teams, you could say. At the time, the Denver Broncos were an upstart team. Now we kind of get an idea of what they really are. And then uh, the likes of the Philadelphia Eagles, it could have went bad. Right. And everybody could have, you know, basically just said, oh, Rich Basaccia, who? Why is this guy that coach? Blah, 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 blah. It ended up going the other way. Okay. Right. Ended up going the way of, okay, we're going to rally behind our guy. We think, you know, 
this is almost a perception of it's us against the world, and uh, the NFL just was out to get us, and and we're just going to continue to do our thing. Everybody else is still in place except for John Gruden, and so we're going to go out and handle our business. That's kind of the way it's went. Were you kind of surprised at uh, at what they've been able to do here the past couple of weeks since the resignation of John Gruden? Slightly. Coach? Slightly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I say slightly is because they brought in good locker room guys. Mm-hmm. And what I had, if I'm a Raider fan, and just me from the outside being in locker rooms, what I had hoped would happen actually happened where Derek Carr now is the solid in the one voice in the locker room. He doesn't, it's not stifled by Coach Gruden. Mm-hmm. You know, John Gruden was the face of the team, and he was the voice of the team. Well, now it's the team, and it's actually Derek Carr's team. So you see a more loose Derek Carr. Watch, I, was on, I was at the game on Sunday. Yeah. Watching him on the sideline with, you know, communicating with Scott Olsen and going through it. I haven't seen him like that in a number of years. Mm-hmm. It, it reminded me when he was at Fresno State how he was with, with, with DeBurr and Coach Hill at the time. Yeah. It, was, it was just him being – so, no, I'm not surprised. I'm slightly surprised because, again, the season could have gone off the rails and they could have been in contention for the number one overall pick. But instead they rallied around each other. And, you know, I, I was critical of Mark Davis in terms of not – coming out and having a statement and letting Mike Mayock go to the podium and talk and letting Coach Passaccia, Derek, Darren, and, and Max as well. But Mark's done a real good job. He's done a great job since the whole relocating here and the way he's handled the media and handled everything. And it's no different with this. And the guys that have rallied around each other, and it's us against the world. And, and I think Mark Davis, when he has the opportunity to take a shot at the NFL, he does. You know, he's today at the owners' meeting. He said, "You know, hey, he asked Commissioner Goodell, how long did you have these? You know, you've had these for a while. Why did you just drop them before the season in right. the middle of a, of, of a tense owners' meeting?" Mm-hmm. And he's and he's holding him accountable. Right. And then they asked him afterwards. You know, and I love the fact that Mark is a Mark is like I'm. A, I'm not the story. I'm gonna wear my starter jacket in a backpack. I'm gonna sit here and I'm gonna have you got. I'll hold yeah. court with you for a while. Mm-hmm. And he was like, "Yeah, I think it's wrong." Yeah, yeah. No, of course I think it's wrong, and, and and but we're the Raiders, and we don't expect anything less. It's not fair, and I would think it's going to change. But hey, it is what it is, so we're used to it. I love that, and and, and Mark's just a genuine dude. Yeah. Like I know we've seen him at you see him at Aces yeah. games, and absolutely see him around town. He's just a real honest. This is how it is. He's just the guy's guy. It's been a great fit for Vegas, really, 100%. to have them come in. But uh, And you brought up, of course, the NFL media. After the break, we're going to get into another story that came out of there that uh, <laughs> is, in- is interesting, to say the least. But, uh, but, but back in the Raiders, and Derek Carr specifically. Look, uh, it's almost you, you talked about uh, you know, it, he feels freer. There is, there's absolutely a sense that the offense almost has been unleashed since John Gruden has left as the head coach. I mean, uh, is there a lot of truth to that? Because look, I mean, you look at st- from a statistics stand- uh, I can't even say it. Statistics standpoint for for Derek Carr, he's you know what the only the only NFL quarterback with over 300 yards passing, I believe, in the last five games. Offensively, it just seems like they uh, they they've cut loose a little bit more now that uh, Olsen is just basically the guy that's running it, and it, there's well, no there's no Gruden influence, I guess. That's is the, the way best to put way it. to say it because yeah. Derek also has input with the offensive game plan, mm-hmm. and I think that's key. I TQ who does a, who does a show with me on Franchise Sports Media, um, he said and he said the best a couple weeks ago. When it comes to the first 15 plays script, Gruden's phenomenal. Yeah. It's the adjustments now. Mm-hmm. 
And that's where he yeah. felt the game is maybe not past Gruden by, but he needed to take a step back and let someone else do it. Yeah. I think now the first 15 is cool, but the adjustments, it's Derek and Ole working together, and they're seeing things, you know, th- the same. So right. they, they kind of know what's going on. And look, I've been a big Derek Carr, I don't say supporter, defender. Exactly. Yeah, because let's be honest about it, right? He's a guy who's been under fire, not because of his personality. He's a great guy, right? He's a, uh, you know, someone who's a, who's a, a God-fearing individual, someone who, you know, the, I mean, those are tremendous characteristics that he has. But it's about on the field, right? It's about right. what, you know, his win-loss record, basically. It's about... You know, not you know being being a, a playoff quarterback, right? Almost kind of the same along along the same lines of a Matthew Stafford, right? Where the guy's talented, we all know he's talented, but it just doesn't seem like you know it doesn't seem like he's performing up to standards. But uh, you know, he's absolutely emerged as a guy that can be talked about as one of the best in the league, one hundred percent. And yeah. the thing is, he's he stabilized the quarterback position since maybe Rich Gannon, but Gannon was there five years, maybe even. Yeah. Back to Plunkett. That's how long it's been since the Raiders had a legitimate quarterback. He stabilized it. He stabilized leadership in the locker room. He's a guy you don't have to worry about. Like like the thing we say with our company, we don't care if DC is at a strip club and you see him doing some type of illegal activity. Like that, it, that's not a story to us because mm-hmm. that's his personal life. Yeah. But that's never going to happen because that's the kind of guy he is. You know what you yeah. get with him. So that's why we use that as an example. And he. He has been everything the Raiders had hoped for. And if you go back to right the year he, he broke his ankle, he was probably going to win the MVP. Mm-hmm. And then he comes back, and the next year he plays with a broken back. Part of his back was broke. Yeah. Right? Exactly. So he's, been, he's dealt with adversity, and he's been able to, to come out on the other side He's of it. unfairly took things yeah. on the chin when he shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's, if, if, whether it be if it was John or if it was Reggie when he was there or whatever the case may be, He's taking things on the chin, taking responsibility for things that he probably shouldn't have because it's made him look bad. But I'm, don't be surprised if Derek Carr signs a massive deal with them this offseason. Another guy that is a clear indication that we are just uh, – when it comes to the NFL, we want our instant gratification. We want our – you know, if you're drafted in the first round, if you're expected to be a star – we want to see you be a star in like two games, right? I mean, that's it's. I mean, it's it's two almost quarters. to that point right now. And so, obviously, I'm thinking of the likes of Henry Ruggs, right? As a receiver, Henry, you know, didn't have you know obviously a great rookie season by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, you know, call it COVID, call it whatever it is, it wasn't outstanding for him. He has started to emerge, right? And I just wanted to kind of get your take on what you think his progression is going to be and what you think. Because, look, we understand, we, we love guys like Renfro. You always got to have a guy like that, right? Obviously, Darren Waller, one of the best tight ends in the league, okay? Hasn't had the statistical season he had a year ago, but we still expect him to be a major cog right. in this offense. A huge key is going to be Henry Ruggs, right? And just how good this kid can be. When he got drafted, I got a text from someone in, in the war room that just said, speed. Yeah. And... My question is, how much of that was Ruggs not being affected? How much of it was Gruden not using Ruggs the correct way? Because Ruggs was never used at Alabama running them deep corners and posts and dig. He was used. He was running dig routes, but he was running more bubble screens, slants, digs, get, get him in space. That, and then you, then you can utilize him over the top because that threat is still there. Mm-hmm. That's football. One, but I've seen last year, oh, you've seen him running those nine routes, those eight routes, those seven routes, which is corners, posts, and and, and – Hail Mary's deep bomb route, exactly. for those that don't know. Yeah. So 
I love the Rugs. In fact, his trainer is a good friend of mine, uh, Dion Hodges. Mm-hmm. Dion trains him, uh, Josh Jacobs, Jonathan Abram, Fletcher Cox, a slew of people, mm-hmm. Rasul Douglas. And Dion and I were talking about it this offseason. Like, he was like, hey, he's like, Jay, Henry's about to blow up. Yeah. Just watch. He, he's, and give him credit. The guy's putting work in his craft. The guy stays committed to football. He's not out, you know, he's not a guy you see out and about doing a lot of things. Mm-hmm. He's a guy that just puts in his work. So I, Ruggs is, is, is key because that opens up Darren Waller in the underneath stuff. That opens up Renfro underneath. Even, even Brian Edwards. That opens up Edwards, opens up the running game. Like, okay, put eight in the box because now we can go over the top. Oh, you're not going to play in the box? Okay, now we can go over the top. That's the part I love about what Ruggs brings. And that's why I, out of all the receivers, I thought Judy was the best route runner. I thought Justin Jefferson was the most complete receiver. But Ruggs was the best fit for the Raiders for what they do on offense. We're talking to Joe Rigo, co-founder of the franchise Sports Media Las Vegas here, live in studio, the C.C. Martin Show, on your Wednesday. Raiders coming off that 33-22 win this past Sunday over the Eagles. Now they get a bye week this week, and then next week they go to northern New Jersey to take on <laughs> a Giants team that is just floundering right now at 2-5. and five. So I don't know. I mean, look, you don't want to call it like a tune-up game because it's the NFL. You know, every week is, is a challenge. But uh, – is there, a, is there a danger that this is a look-pass point for, for the Raiders because obviously you have a, a big-time Sunday night matchup coming up against your division rival in the Kansas City Chiefs coming up the week after. Your thoughts regarding uh, how this could go down with the Giants and the Raiders coming up a week from now? I think the Giants are a mess, even though they had a big win this past yeah. weekend. Yeah. I, you know, and there's a bunch of injuries. I mean, is Saquon going to play? That's the, that's the you know, if Saquon... Mm-hmm. I like the Raiders in that game. I mean, I, I think... You know, Pete Carroll does a good job. He leaves a, most teams leave Saturday, get their Saturday for the game Sunday, then leave. If they leave Friday, get their Friday, it gives them a day of rest and kind of and coming off a of bye week. Mm-hmm. The Raiders are going to be healthy. Yeah. I expect Waller to be back. Yeah. I expect is know, Jacobs going to be? Uh, well, I don't know what the status is. He said he says he's ready to go. Okay, so, so I mean, fine. you get Jacobs yeah. back. Hopefully, you get some your offensive line gets a little more healthy. Yeah, you know you you could be in a you could be in a good a good spot. So. I like the Raiders in that game. I, I'm just not a big fan of the Giants and what they got. I, I talked to a Giants fan Saturday night. I was at Whiskey <laughs> X at, at the Cosmo, right? Okay, yeah. And a, a buddy of mine was there, and he had a booth. And, he, and I said, so what do you think of your season? And he goes, they're probably – if they don't win tomorrow, they'll win one of the next three, but Judge is going to get fired, and my worst nightmare happens. And I'm like, what's that? And he goes, Jason Garrett will be the head coach. Really? So – yeah, so I'm sure that I'm sure that would just make Giants fans all across the tri-state area just ecstatic that uh, you're running a retread out there, the likes of uh, Jason I mean, Garrett. Jason Garrett. That would be uh, I don't know. It'd be, it'd be kind of fun to watch uh, the reaction from the so outside. What I say is, if the Raiders blow them out, uh-huh. it's the kiss of death, and it's going to be the Adam Gase effect. But they they they're going to run another coach out of out of Jersey. Wow. I could definitely that 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 would be intriguing to say the least to see what uh, the reaction would be if this does happen. It's the TC March show coming your way live. Uh, by the way, NFL Week Eight kicks off tomorrow night. Uh, Joe Rigo is a little bit familiar with this team, the Green little, Bay Packers, taking bit. on the Arizona Cardinals. We're going to talk some more NFL uh, after the break, but uh, and we're also going to talk about uh, some developing situations and stories that Joe uh, has made me aware of regarding the NFL. Owners meeting that's going down as we speak. 
And uh, we'll talk a lot about uh, we'll get storylines around the NFL, too, with Joe Arrigo here live on the T.C. Martin Show. It is your Wednesday. I'm Chris Wynn in for T.C. Martin, who is hanging out down for the Fall Classic, getting set for Game 2 as the Astros host the Atlanta Braves. Much more on the way after the break. Around your door and more of what you're looking for with the Dr. T.C. Martin. Rolling along on a hump day. It is the T.C. Martin Show coming your way live. I'm Chris Wynn in for T.C. Martin. I'll be in again tomorrow because T.C.'s going to be en route from H-Town back here to Vegas as a... It'll be the conclusion of Game 2 tonight of the World Series as the Astros are hosting the Atlanta Braves. And we have breaking news. Joel Rigo here is live in studio with us, co-founder of the franchise, LasVegas.com. And also we have our esteemed host, T.C. Martin, live on the show. T.C., what's going on, my friend? Win, what's going on, brother? Coming to you from the beautiful confines here, of course, at Minute Maid Park, my friend. And uh, thank you again for uh, stepping up to the plate, doing a fine job, brother. Appreciate you as always. No worries at all. And I got it's got to come out of the gate with us, my friend. What is the mindset right now of uh, H-Town as a whole? They take it on the chin in the first game of the World Series, obviously. And, uh, you know, not not uh, offensive woes, you know, not, not weren't able to get uh, – a lot of guys rolling around the bases there. Uh, what's the idea as far as uh, your guy, Dusty Baker, and this Astro squad right now? You know, Dusty thinks that uh, he goes, hey, it, it's, it's one game, and the bottom line is, you know, when you don't get uh, leadoff hitters on, I mean, that's going to come back to bite you. And uh, the Astros didn't get a leadoff guy on for the first seven innings, and uh, that's it. I mean, you know, you got some guys that, uh, that, they were, that have been slumping. You got Jose Altuve and uh, – against Alex Bregman at the top of the order, and that hurts you, you know, and that's exactly what happened. But they're taking the mindset that, hey, it's not like the Astros didn't do anything. Uh, their bullpen came in, and uh, Jake Odorizzi gave them a lot of good innings and relief. Didn't really have to burn up any of their main guys last night, so they saved Graveman, they saved Presley, you know, you know, uh, you know, for down the stretch here tonight, hopefully. But they're looking at it like, hey, we've been here before. They've dumped a game before. As you know, uh, they've been down three games to nothing as recent as last year in the ALCS against the Rays. They forced a seventh game, but they still feel that, hey, they're the favorites here. Uh, the offense is not going to get shut down uh, like it did uh, last night, and uh, it's one game. And, and like Dusty said, more of the credit goes to the Braves. It's not that the Astros really did anything wrong. Uh, they cost them the game, but it was all about uh, the Braves really capitalizing those big bats for the Braves like you and I talked about yesterday. They came through. So kudos to the Braves for winning game one, but the Astros come out of here with a split. They're going to be real happy, uh, you know, knowing that uh, they got three in Atlanta and then back here for six and seven if necessary. Yeah, no question. Uh, Jorge Soler, of course, big time game goes two for five. Had that home run, the two RBIs for the Braves, but uh, you, there's no doubt about it, right? You, you're expecting the Astros to have much more efficient offensive output tonight with uh, all the bats that they have there. But uh, how much pressure is it on Jose as he takes the ball for the Astros there in Game 2? And what essentially, I mean, let's be, let's be straight up about it, uh, it's a must-win game for the Astros. You do not want to go down 0-2. What do you, what do you think uh, Jose's uh, mindset is right now rolling into this matchup? You know, all these guys are really calm, cool, collective. You know, they're young. Uh, you know, Ur- Urquidy has had some struggles, but Urquidy's had some brilliant moments as well, too. 
So you're banking on, you know, Urquidy, you know, pitching at home, and Dusty wanted to go with him in game two instead of game three. And then uh, you give Garcia that extra day's rest. Thinks Garcia, with a little more experience, is better on the road. So that's why Urquidy is getting the start here, you know, today. He's comfortable at home. He's pitched pretty well at home. So, you know, I think that's the mindset. But, yeah, there's pressure. There's no question about it. I mean, any way you look at it, this is the World Series. And even though you have home field advantage, you're staring across uh, these Braves' bats. But we've seen this with the Astros before, you know, where they've gotten down in a series. They were you know, down 2-1 to Boston, and boom, you know, they came back and won three straight. So uh, pressure, no question about it. But remember, like we've talked about all along, this is a veteran-laden team. They've been here before. They've got the big sticks. They've got the solid defense. And the key is if they can get a good five, six innings out of Rikidi, they'll be in pretty good shape. But he's going to have to shut down those upraised bats. T.C. Martin, our host of the T.C. Martin Show, joining us live from Houston, getting set for Game 2 of the World Series. The Braves hosting, or excuse me, the uh, Astros hosting the Braves in that matchup. Uh, we saw the unfortunate injury, obviously, right, T.C., last night as uh, Charlie Morton was on the hill for the Atlanta Braves and uh, you know suffered a broken right fibula after he was struck, obviously, in the lower right leg by Gurriel's uh, you know, 102-mile-an-hour comebacker in that second inning of the game last night. And what was kind of crazy, and look, our perception uh, might have been a little bit different than yours. What are your thoughts regarding that injury? And, and then the guy actually stays in there in the game before uh, exiting in the third inning after suffering that injury, TC. You know, again, you know, when you're at the ballpark and, you know, again, you don't have the use of replay and commentary, so I really don't have any idea what's going on. And, you know, I noticed uh, him limping, you know, as uh, he was getting taken out of that game. And so we were all just going like, hey, what's, what's going on here? I go, wait, he's, he's limping. That, that's got to be a leg injury, either a hip or knee or something like that, you know. And, again, you, you know, he played it off you know, really well, at least, you know, from my vantage point, that, you know, after taking that, you know, that line drive off the knee, that, uh, that, that he, he was okay. He covered up pretty well, but he couldn't cover it up with the Braves training staff. And they said, hey, we've got to get him out of here. It's unfortunate. You know, Charlie Morton, a former Astro, there's a lot of people that still love Charlie Morton here. And, uh, you know, now he's done for the series. So that is a crushing blow for the Astros as Charlie Morton is your number one starter coming into this series. And transaction news, TC, and, uh, and the guys here live in the studio, left-hander Tucker Davison is the one who will replace uh, the injured Charlie Morton. Uh, Davison, uh, pretty young guy, 25-year-old guy, uh, hasn't had a whole lot of big league experience. He had four big league starts this year, uh, never, had never been in a postseason game before. So, uh, you know, uh, kind of a tough hit there for the Atlanta Braves from a pitching staff standpoint there for them. So uh, uh, I don't know if you know a whole lot about Tucker Davidson, TC, about uh, what he brings to the table for that pitching staff for Atlanta. Well, he's just, he's just a guy that's going to be another one of those arms that they're going to plan on using in maybe mm-hmm. games four and five. See, what this injury does, it now takes Charlie Morton out of game five. So Atlanta's already going to go with a bullpen game. They're going to go to the reliever city, you know, starting off in game four. Now that has to push everybody up. A game now, so now you gotta, you know, if you're Atlanta, you gotta say, okay, how does Max Fried come out of tonight's game? And that's the big thing. I mean, he's coming off that Dodger game where the Dodgers pounding him around. And that's mm-hmm. why there's the belief here that the Astros are going to be okay because we know how the Astros, uh, you know, what, what they do against left-handers. So, uh, you know, depending on what Fried does tonight, uh, he might not be available. You know, come up for Game Five, and that means the Braves may have to go two bullpen games in that sense. So that's why this injury is huge because. Charlie Morton was going to go at least twice and maybe even three times, maybe even uh, get a little relief appearance in Game 7. Now that's gone. 
It's uh, game two. It uh, first pitch just after five o'clock local time tonight, as the Astros are hosting the Braves in the World Series. TC Martin is going to be live there in the house, and then it'll be rolling back here to Vegas. Well, okay, so if it's T.C. Martin and he's on the road, what does that mean? It means that there are food adventures that are going on, folks, across the board. And Joe Rigo, who's live in studio with me, Joe, you had a recommendation for T.C., a spot for him to hit when he's in H-Town, my friend. Yeah, T.C., my guy. The tur- What's up, Joe? The Turkey Hut. You have to try the Turkey <laughs> Hut if you're in H-Town. It is a institution down there, and it is, the food is phenomenal. You're going to dig it. Yeah. So here's the thing, Joe. With, with, I'm not a turkey guy. I don't, I don't like turkey on Thanksgiving. I can't do it, Joe Rico. I can't do it. I'm all about the steak. I need the potatoes. Give me the ribs. Give me my Mexican. Give me my Italian. I'm just not a turkey guy. Wait a minute. low on the food chain. TC. Low on the food chain in the TC Martin world. How is that even possible? So, so what's the deal on Thanksgiving? Are you a ham guy on Thanksgiving? Or what are you rolling out there if you're not a turkey okay. guy when yeah. uh, you know on the biggest turkey day of the year? See when I'm here's what I, I I've taken one for the team uh-huh. all of these years with the family and going and doing the things and all that sort of thing. But since the family family's point dwindled over the years, yeah, I, I just stake it up, bro. I stay at home. I watch the, the the quadruple header of the NFL. I'm going to get the steaks. I'm getting the steaks the day before. I'm going on the grill, brother. That's what it's all about. And speaking of food, guys, yeah, just went to Papa's Barbecue. Just posted some some pics there. So check it out. Had the pool park. Had the brisket. Outstanding, one of the best in H Town. If Joe knows anything about barbecue in Houston, he'll uh, he'll nod his head, give me a high five on that one. But yeah. Papa's barbecue just got down. I just got down. I got busy, and that's the problem. I mean, so many good food spots. When I get into the park, I'm not that hungry, but I did get the Nolan Ryan footlong hot dog last night. It's one of my traditions. I had to do that about during the fifth inning last night. So yeah, the food options in the park they get swayed because I got to throw down before I go in. Oh, yeah, that looks good. Oh, we just got the pick. Yeah, Numchuck just lined us up and showed us what was going on. Hey, you know what, uh, TC, getting ready for game two. Got to get, uh, hey, give me, tell me what's going to happen. I, myself, personally, I think that the Astros are going to get it done. I say the Astros eating up the series. I think they get some offense going. I think you're going to see some balls flying out of the park there for Houston. I think you're going to see a lot of those orange towels getting tossed around. You're going to see the people fired up with their, you know, 1975 Astros jerseys in the stands. People are going to be happy. What do you think goes down here game two of the series? I do think the Astros answer the bell, and I think even though Freed was fantastic in this postseason up until the last game, I think that the Astros will get to him tonight. And uh, I think the bats uh, do come alive. But, again, if they're not hitting at the top of the order, if Altuve and Bregman are struggling, then it, 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 they could find themselves down 0-2. Those two guys are going to be the keys in this game. Urquidy, ah, you know, again, I mean, we've seen, we've seen them on at times. We've seen them off at times. There's a lot of intrigue here because when you got the offense that both these teams have, you know, it, it's just who's going to take advantage of it. And, obviously, last night the Braves took advantage of it immediately with Solaire's, you know, blast in the, in the first at bat. And uh, there you go. But Solaire, kind of weird. Uh, Brian Snicker moved him out of the leadoff spot tonight. I thought it was kind of strange to see him in the leadoff spot last night. But now they moved him down. And, uh, you know, so Rosario's going to go to that leadoff spot, which is probably even more dangerous. So we'll see what happens, man. But I think the Astros get it done. It's 1-1. And then we got ourselves a series. At least that's what everyone here in H-Town is hoping for. And 
that's what I'm hoping for uh, as well, too, man. There he is, the doctor, our electrifying host of the T.C. Martin Show, live in Houston, getting set for Game 2 of the World Series. T.C., enjoy yourself there. We look forward to seeing you when you're back in town, baby, Vegas-bound, tomorrow and uh, back on the show on Friday. All right, buddy? That's it. We'll be at the Cosmopolitan on Friday. Everyone, come on out and enjoy the show. See when, Joe. Appreciate you guys uh, being there today. Thank you very much. No question about it. There it is. T.C. Martin live in Houston. And, uh, by the way, saw the pick. So, Nunchuck threw up a couple more picks that I saw. Had that marquee-looking, you know, display out there in the front of of Pops. And the food just had me mouth-watering over here. So, it was big time. I was loving it. But uh, it's the T.C. Martin Show coming your way live here on a Wednesday. I'm Chris Wynn in for T.C. Martin today. Also be in for him tomorrow. Joel Rigo's joining us here live in studio, talking a little bit of NFL, talking some Raiders, talking some UNLV. And uh, now we're going to get back into the NFL because uh, as I teased before the last break, there's some goings-on down at the uh, NFL owners' meetings. And uh, obviously we're here in Vegas, so we talked a little bit about you know what Mark Davis, his reaction regarding – the Washington football team investigation, his perspective of all that. But, Joe, there's actually another story that has uh, taken place as well, too, regarding the owner down in Los Angeles of the Chargers. Yeah, it indirectly affects the Raiders. Uh-huh. And we can, you know, I don't, we run we, we short on time. time. Yeah. Oh, we got time. Okay, we well, time. basically, um, Stan Kroenke, right. the owner of the Rams, mm-hmm. is trying to stip the NFL on legal bills and may sue the NFL over – the indemnification clause in agreement he signed is part of the relocation. Right. Now, that's a clause that you sign if you're the people that are going to try moving to basically say, I'm a, we'll handle the bills, we'll mm-hmm. take care of it, nothing comes back on the league. Well, St. Louis, there, there was an email that was sent out from someone in the NFL that, is, that somehow the attorneys for St. Louis, the city of St. Louis, right. got a hold of. Mm-hmm. And it's basically the blueprint for their legal case against the NFL. There are some teams whose legal bills are already eight figures. Kroenke's not trying to pay those bills. Okay, so obviously when I hear this story, right, and everybody else listening too, and and NFL fans out there and people around the NFL, they hear this, they think of, okay, someone's looking for uh, an opportunity to change the rules, right? Kind of admit, you know, one team, uh, the other team's, had to uh, be responsible for this, and now it appears, right, that Stan Kroenke is trying to switch things up, pull the old switcheroo, so that uh, he doesn't have to, well, right? Am, it, am, am I getting the gist of it here? Is that yeah, kind of the idea? Kind of, kind of sort of, because okay. if you go back to when the whole L.A. relocation was taking place, mm-hmm. the Rams and Charters had the deal in Carson, and they actually were approved, not Stan Kroenke, by a vote of 5-1. to one. Mm-hmm. Well, the NFL wanted Kroenke there because more money, he'll build the stadium himself, less headaches. Yeah. So they had this backdoor agreement. Okay, you take the Chargers, Ram or Raiders. Where do you want to go? Okay. I want to go. Okay. We'll and everything happened worked every, out with Vegas. Every, everything worked yeah. out. But the city of St. Louis said, "Well, you guys broke your own. You guys didn't even follow your own protocols for relocation, and you've cost us hundreds of millions of dollars." So they're suing the NFL for that. Well, Crocky now is like, no, 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 no. Like, I'm not paying the bill for you guys. So in this meeting today, Roger Goodell actually asked, and Jeff Pash, who's the chief legal counsel for the NFL, asked Crocky to leave the room, as well as every person that's not an owner or representative for the owner and league official at the meeting. Mm -hmm. And there was a lengthy discussion that Jeff Pash kind of 
ran through everything to the point where Jerry Jones was defending Stan Kroenke and said, and asked Pasha, hey, like I heard, I was told that he's offering the settlement in the billions. And Jeff Pasha goes, no, but it's, what he's offering is, worth, is more than some of the people who own teams right. for the city of St. Louis. Yeah. But then Jerry Jones flipped in and said, well, I also heard that he's, he may sue us because it's indemnification clause that he doesn't want to do it. And that every owner in there was irate. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jim Irsay of the Colts, Robert Kraft said, hey, you know, this isn't right. I had to fit, pay all my, uh, flip the bill for all my legal bills. Exactly. And why doesn't he have to do it? And he's the richest owner that we have in here. Yeah, that's, the, that's why I'm using the analogy. It's not even an analogy. I'm just using the viewpoint that, you know, it, it, it has the perception that there's some type of special treatment going on here regarding Kroenke as opposed to what the other owners have had to deal with from a financial standpoint right? as to this. Well, you know, so. and, and, and part of this, at one point, Mark Davis goes, well, this let me remind everybody that we were voted to go to L.A. before they were, 5-1, to one, like our proposal, but you guys didn't want You guys poo-pooed that. You didn't want it. Mm-hmm. To now, um, Daniel Snyder's wife, who's acting in, in as the person who runs the team since he's been suspended or whatever you want to call it, apologize to the league for bringing forth all this stuff because of her investigation Mm -hmm. to where Mark Davis then questioned Roger Goodell. Well, so speaking of that, how long did you know about these emails before you, you, (laughs) and it just became a, 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 a show that you can put an expletive in front of. Exactly. And it's billionaires fighting with billionaires. It was, it's, it's, comical and it's great and just to kind of put a cap on it just not a position that if you're roger Goodell, you want to be in right at the owners meeting where you're just getting you know essentially shell-shocked from each side uh on on issues you know two different issues that you know that could be combined i guess but at the same time not a great spot for roger Goodell. you want to be in when it comes to an owners meeting like that the 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 part is that that people forget is Goodell works for the owners technically mm-hmm. so he's going to be the one taking it on the chin that's why he gets paid so much to take yeah. it on the chin yeah. but now they're now they're fighting with each other and i could say honestly um and publicly that Stan Kroenke is not happy with Dean Spanos mm-hmm. and the arrangement they have at SoFi Stadium in LA and he would love someone to buy the Chargers to get rid of Spanos because he is now People talk about Mark Davis's money. Their their hands are always in Mark Davis' pocket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mark Davis is fine financially. Dean Spanos is probably the, the most cash poor owner in the NFL, mm-hmm. and it's now costing Stan Kroenke money, and Stan's not happy about that. We'll see how it all shakes out there as the NFL owners meetings continue. There, uh, going on the field now in the NFL, uh, one of the more anticipated matchups on Thursday night football. Thursday night football kind of been a smorgasbord here during this season. There's been some good games, good matchups. There's been some not so good ones throughout the history of Thursday night football. It tends to be a lot of bad games. Not the case this week as the uh, Cardinals, who remain unbeaten and have matched their best start in franchise history since uh, 1974, they are undefeated. They take on a six and one Green Bay team, Joe. That uh, despite the fact that they got uh, just flat out embarrassed basically in week one, have just gone on a run here. Uh, but they're still dealing with things. Obviously, uh, Alan Lazard as well as uh, Devonte Adams both out because of COVID. Uh, Devonte has a chance to play. He, he has pa- an opportunity he, to play. From okay. My understanding: he passed one COVID test today. Okay, and if he passes one tomorrow, there may be a private jet to fly him down to Arizona, and he could be there in time for the game. Okay, so they 
uh, I'm, I'm just looking at the article from ESPN. They're saying that uh, there's a challenge facing the Packers because possibility Devontae Adams and uh, Lazard being on the reserve uh, COVID-19 list. And then uh, Marquez uh, Valdez-Scantling, obviously, can come off the IR because he's missed the last four games with that hamstring injury. But uh, your anticipation of this matchup, I mean, look, the Cardinals, I have to say, are one of the surprises, I think, this year. People thought they'd be good. I don't know if they thought they'd be this good. And uh, Kyler Murray has really emerged as uh, one of the better quarterbacks in the league. MVP right now, if mm-hmm. we had it. J.J. Watt's out with the shoulder. Mm-hmm. So that that definitely hurts. He's one of their, he's their best run defender as well as their best right, – well, and Chandler Jones comes back, but one of their best pass rushers. Yeah. They, I think you're going to see Green Bay run the ball. They got a dynamic one-two combo with Aaron Jones and, and, and AJ Dillon. And if you get even without the Green Bay six, no, without Devontae Adams, yeah, you know. So in Green Bay, from an injury standpoint, mm-hmm. their top corner, maybe the best in the league, Jair Alexander, has been out since week three. Zadarius Smith has been out. Preston Smith was missed last week. David Bakhtiari's out, and he's been yep. he'll be back probably week nine. Elton Jenkins. Missed missed of three games of the season. Green Bay hasn't hit their stride, and they're still six and one. And when you add Jalen Smith, Whitney Merciless, Rasul Douglas, Green Bay is probably when they get healthy going to be the deepest in, in the team that's going to make a, a, a big time run. So I wouldn't put anything past Aaron Rodgers. No, yeah, there's no question. And, and, and Joe, let's be honest, it's going to be a lot of fun to kind of see the jockeying, right, of these top three teams in the NFC throughout the rest of the season. Obviously, the Green Bay Packers as well as Arizona and, of course, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, right? They just keep going. Quarterback, I mean, you're kidding me? Tom Brady just keeps on doing it. The guy, you know, could he play to 50? I guess, but it's just uh, – and, look, the plethora of weapons that they have there in Tampa Bay. And uh, Tom Brady, 600 t- a touchdown pass. And uh, Mike Evans says – Hey, fan, here you go. What this would you ask for? Like, 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 what would you ask for? If, if, you, if you got the ball from Tom Brady, what would you, what I, would you have asked for? I, I got to be honest. Play that and, man his money. Maybe this makes me sound greedy, but I'd be like, Tom, just cut me a check for like 200 k You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't go over That's the top it. and say, well, I mean, I, 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 because I, I, I want to maintain a, like, a, a viewpoint that I'm not trying to completely put the screws to him, you know? Maybe 500 grand. Okay. Maybe, maybe Tom, <laughs> just write me a check for 500 G's. Bang. I mean, let's let, be honest. What what he, what the fan is getting is kind of ridiculous, right? A seventy thousand dollar Bitcoin. Bitcoin is not even a big thing yet. Yes, there are some places that accept it, and it's a, a type of uh, cryptocurrency that's kind of being uh, implemented, but it hasn't necessarily been a solid thing yet. And then all the other stuff is not even close. To what that what three quarters of a million no, dollars no, the, that the ball could be worth? No, they, I mean it's they, not even close. They appraised so. the ball at two hundred thousand, mm-hmm. and what the guy got for I'm like no jive. What the guy got for was like you know these was like four hundred thousand dollars worth of stuff. A thousand dollars in the shopping spree, two se- season tickets for the next. So two it years. adds up to um, to almost four hundred grand. He got two season tickets for, okay. the, for the end of the, for the rest of this year, and then two se- full season for next year. Okay, so it's not even like for a lifelong season ticket. No, no. Like that. this year, next seasons? this year, next year, he got a thousand dollars in the store. He got uh, game cleats from Evans. He got mm-hmm. uh, game jersey from Brady. He got helmets um, and all this helmets, is signed everything. by him. Yeah. Helmets, jersey signed by Brady and Evans. Um, like it, it ends up being like four hundred grand yeah. worth of stuff. I mean, so he he made out, but for me, for me, I would have made. 
I, I would have, if it was, depending on the team, <laughs> if it was Green Bay, yep. I would have been like, season tickets for the rest of my life. You know, I, I, and I would, I would want the jersey of that game too. That he threw yeah. the six hundred touchdown passing. Well, it would have been hilarious as if it was a fan of uh, you know any other team except for the Buccaneers that happened to get handed the ball in the stands. That would have been hilarious. And he knew he messed up the second yeah. he gave that ball up. He was like, oh. No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, Joe, we appreciate you coming in the studio, man. No Good stuff. Getting a chance to chop it up. All things UNLV, football across the board. Follow Joe at Joe Arrigo FSM on Twitter. Co-founder of the Franchise LV Podcast Director for SB Nation's uh, Silver and Black Pride Podcast Network. Joe Arrigo, uh, always appreciate it, man. Getting a chance to chop it up with you Appreciate on a, on a Wednesday. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. Good Thank stuff. you, uh, everybody, for listening. Yeah, it's the T.C. Martin Show. It's come your way here on your Wednesday Much more tomorrow. We'll break down, I'm sure, talk about Game 2 of the World Series. Uh, Also, the NFL News will probably preview that matchup between Green Bay and Arizona and much, much more. Go to www.thetcmartinshow.com for all the show archives and information across the board. For T.C. Martin, for Nunchuck, for Joe, and uh, and thank to our guest Nick Monsanto as well, too. Earlier, I'm Chris Wynn. I'll be back again tomorrow. Everybody have a great night out there.